Amen. You know, as I mentioned, the title of the sermon this morning is Jesus, Friend of Sinners. You know, maybe at first glance, you look at that title, and, and to you, it's nothing but empty religious words, right? I mean, we hear it all the time. There are songs about this. But, you know, it's, it's quite the contrary, though. This is a profound and powerful truth about Jesus, a reality that I believe we're in, desperately, in desperate need of. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the, the truth or the reality that if we truly understand and if we truly allow it to work its way into the core of who we are, I believe we'll find the courage and the inspiration to make real changes in our lives and be able to live the life that God has called every single one of us to live. And before we get into the text this morning, I want to really ease into it and take some time to really describe a problem that I believe many of us have. Not all of us, but many of us. Many people have this problem. Many of us in the ballroom this morning, this is a problem that we have. There are universities around our nation where there are students where this is the, the problem that they're dealing with. High schools all around the Metroplex with young teens where this is the issue and the problem that they're dealing with. You know, and this problem really helps us to understand why knowing that Jesus is a friend of sinners is valuable. And so here we go. I believe this problem that we have is that many of us have, as it relates to our understanding with God, a faulty understanding. And this uh, understanding is perhaps due to our religious upbringing. You know, we grew up and what we experienced in religion, that's what created this understanding. Or maybe it's, uh, it's due to some family of origin issues, right? The way, the, 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 the dynamic in our families and how we grew up. Or maybe it's just, you know, just experiences we've had as we've grown up or, or as we continue to live life creates this problem in our thinking. Many of us, and the problem is many of us have a somewhat confused understanding of God and is dealing with human beings generally, but also in is dealing with us specifically. You know, some of us find God to be a distant being. I'm not sure what that was. God is telling us he's not distant. But it's true, you know, many of us, we find God to be this distant being, unknow unknowable. Someone who is somewhere way out there someplace. And if he pays attention to us, if he even knows we exist, he's disappointed in us. Because you know what, we don't measure up or we're not good enough. So we think. And this way of understanding God keeps us separated from him. We don't know how to relate to him. And truth be told, it keeps us avoiding him. It causes us to stay away from him because he's unapproachable is what we're thinking. He is distant. He is displeased. And perhaps he's even angry with us. And as if that wasn't enough, right, this wasn't complicated enough, 
we have a situation that makes it even more complicated. And that situation is that we clearly, each and every single one of us, clearly know that we're sinners, we're sinful. And we know this from firsthand experience, right? The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But you know what? Even if the Bible didn't say that, you and I would know that. We know that there's a good and right and beautiful way to live, and we know that we fall short of this way every day. So here you are, this sense of our own sinfulness, as well as this sense that God is distant and unapproachable creates a divide between us and God, a divide that is of our own making, obviously. And this is why you find that so many people find it very hard and very difficult to have a relationship with God. You know, even those of us who have repented of our sins and have gotten baptized, we find it really hard to maintain a connection with God. So instead of going to God, we run away from God. We hide is what we do. We know this morning there's good news. And if you would turn to Hebrews chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 1 there. So that's the problem we have, and this is the way our thinking sometimes can go. And here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he, he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So what is that saying here? Basically, it's saying that if we want to know what God is like, should we rely just in our thinking and our upbringing? No. It says, you know, what it's describing here in the book of Hebrews, we should carefully study and reflect on the person and the teaching of Jesus so that we can truly know who God is. And for our purposes this morning, I want us to know something about God that Jesus teaches us. And here it is. Jesus is a friend of sinners. You know, this was the accusation that the religious leaders loved to throw at Jesus all the time. You know, he was a friend of prostitutes, tax collectors, just ordinary sinners. And it baffled people when the, the religious leaders would see this. They're like, what is up with him? He's a friend of sinners. And nowhere in the Bible do you see Jesus arguing that point. Now, of course, in Luke chapter 7, he uses that same saying, that, that description of him, to show how flighty the uh, religious leaders were. But when you look in the pages of Scripture, Jesus would welcome, he, would, he welcomed that title. He would constantly hang out with those that were considered sinners. And brothers, sisters, and friends, this morning, what that truth or what the what life that Jesus lived and his teaching, what it teaches us and showing us that Jesus was a friend of sinners, 
It shows that God, what it means is that God is our friend. God wants to connect with us. God wants to walk with you and I. And there isn't an act that you've committed. There isn't a thought that you've had, a word that came out of your mouth that would keep him from really desiring this, which is to be with you and I. I think sometimes, you know, it's, it's, we, 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 we sometimes want to, well, what, what do I do? What's the practical here? And I understand that, right? Because it's like, hey, why fill my head up with knowledge when it's not going to produce anything? But, you know, sometimes there's some truths we got to really let marinate and really figure out how do we get to really understand this and live in such a way where this is our reality. And this is what I think with this, with this reality that Jesus is a friend of sinner. God is our friend. It's something that you and I need to allow to totally change our thinking. And we're going to look at uh, a man who had an encounter with Jesus in Luke chapter 19. And that's where we'll really sit here this morning and really look at a couple of things. And really two things I want to look at. The first thing is that there's no way you and I will experience God in the intimate way that he wants to, for you to experience him unless you put your pride aside. It won't happen. And then the second thing we'll look at is that, you know, the only way we'll be able to live the life that God's calling us to is that we have to be willing to change. So as we look in Luke chapter 19 here, let's read about a man named Zacchaeus and see how Zacchaeus lived his life and his interaction with Jesus. Starting in verse 1, it says here, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not. So Zacchaeus was vertically challenged. But because of, he could not see Jesus because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed the sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Verse 7, all the people saw this and began to mutter. He is gone to be the guest of a sinner. They had a problem with this. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. I love the way he said, if I cheated. <laughs> Verse 9, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. You know, a tax collector in those days was somebody who was employed by the Roman government to make sure that everybody paid their taxes. 
sort of like the IRS, right? But their, their job in particular was to collect the taxes from the people. They had the full weight of the Roman government behind them. And so if you mess with them, you were messing with Rome. So these guys had influence. Now the tax collectors in Israel during the time of the Roman occupation were usually Jewish, and they were usually collecting taxes from their fellow Jews. Let that sink in. So the Jews hated being under the occupation of Rome, and they saw tax collectors as sellouts, traitors. And the tax collectors were hated because of this. And usually, these men were very wealthy because their salary was related to the amount of taxes they collected. And many of them collected more taxes than they needed, which benefited them financially, obviously. Now, Zacchaeus was not only a tax collector, but he was a chief tax collector. So he had other tax collectors working under him. So he was a very powerful man, very rich, and he was hated by the Jews and seen as a traitor. He was an outcast among his own people and had profited by selling out to Rome. But somewhere along the way, he had heard about Jesus and there was something about Jesus he wanted to experience for himself. So when he heard about Jesus and he heard Jesus was coming to the town, Zacchaeus ran there to be able to get a glimpse of Jesus. But as we read, the crowd was so large, which is always the case. You know, when Jesus was teaching, there would be a large crowd of people. But because, again, Zacchaeus was short, he, he just couldn't see Jesus. So what he did was he figured out a way, climbed up this tree just to be able to get a glimpse of Jesus on his own. And as Jesus passed by the spot where Zacchaeus was standing, Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to be a guest in your house today. I'm sure Zacchaeus was just blown away by that. Not what he was expecting. Zacchaeus was thrilled by this, and he came down and welcomed Jesus into his house. Now, the people who heard this, what happened? They were muttering. They were thinking, man, he's going, does he not know that this is a tax collector? Does he not know that he's sinful? And they had comments to make about the fact that Jesus went to be the guest of a sinner. And almost everyone around Jesus got this wrong. They simply could not understand actually that Jesus loves sinners. And what that means, he loves you. Were you bothered by that? But he loves me as well. He loves sinners. And he has good news for us. He can save us, not just sometimes in the future when we die, but even now he can show us how to live. So in the midst of all the muttering and complaining, Zacchaeus stood up and he said, look, Lord, I give half of my possession to the poor. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. A little radical. 
And Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to this house because I have come to seek and save those who are lost. You know, Zacchaeus would have never had this opportunity to meet Jesus and have his life changed if he didn't put his pride aside. And that's the, the, the point, the first point I want to make here this morning is that it's the same for us. You and I can't experience Jesus as a friend. We can't live our lives in an intimate and close relationship with God where we're fulfilled and are making real changes if we don't put our pride aside. So we got to put aside, you got to put aside your pride. You know, Zacchaeus came to know that Jesus was a friend because of this. You know, you can imagine a person like Zacchaeus, and they're very similar to us. You know, when you live the kind of life that he's living, all the kind of, you know, just uh, the things that were being said about him and the treatment that he received, the rejection that he received, that there's no way he could get to a point where he's as, su as successful as he was or continue to do this if he didn't harden his heart a little bit. There's no way. You know, he, he, he was not, sure, he was, he, was, he was wealthy, the Bible says, but that all came at a price. He was not respected in the community. He was seen as an outcast. And as I suspect, in, in order to survive, he had to, to, to survive this rejection, he had to harden his heart. He had to be cold in some way. I'm sure Zacchaeus thinking is, you know what, if they're going to treat me that way, then I'll treat them worse. That's kind of the way we deal with rejection sometimes and hurt. You know, if, if they're going to judge me, then I'm going to take more money from them. I'll treat them as bad as they treat me. And here you see both religious people, the teachers of the law, and Zacchaeus, irreligious, were full of pride. And this pride, this unwillingness to come to grips with our own spiritual poverty, and see our desperate need for God will keep us from experiencing what God has in store for us. This keeps us away from God. That's what it does. But you know, Zacchaeus, for some reason, he was willing to put aside his pride. How about you this morning? You know, James chapter 4, verse 5, this is what it says. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And this is huge because we got to understand God does not force himself on us. And so we must be ready to admit the fact that we need him and need him desperately. If we don't get to that place of humility, there's no way we can receive what God desired to give us. So it begs the question this morning, are you in touch with your need for God? Are you? The good news is that Jesus wants to offer us something that will change our lives. Now, that will never happen unless we're humble. You know, there's a quote from uh, Dwight Moody. It says, God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. Are you full of yourself this morning? And you say, well, how do I know if I'm full of myself? 
You know, what you believe about yourself is what determines whether you're proud or you're humble. So what do you believe about yourself this morning? Are you difficult to help? You know, when people are trying to get in your life to help you, is that difficult for you? Can you be corrected without an uproar? Whoa, 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 what do you mean, bro? I mean, is it like pulling teeth to try to help you? Do you listen to godly advice? Because, you know, that's part of living life. We get to do things we've never done before. But, man, if we're not listening to, God, listening to godly advice, how do we get to do the, those things in a way that God is pleased with us? Are you competitive with others? I've got more for you. Do you exalt yourself above others? And I know some of you are saying, well, that ain't me. <laughs> but, you know, truth is, if you're thinking this doesn't apply to you, <laughs> You may be the one who needs to hear this. Are you the topic of most conversations you're in? Or are you a seeker of praise? You know, this can happen, obviously, in, in very obvious ways, but it can be very subtle. You know, it's, a, it's, it's something we have to constantly be vigilant about what we're watching the pride that creeps up in us constantly. Because if we don't put that pride aside, there's no way we can connect with God. You know, this uh, beginning of last week, uh, I had the opportunity to hang out with the other staff brothers. Um, and it was great. It's great to just be together, to, to be able to have fun together, to have conversations with one another. But I started to pay attention um, just how... For me, in conversations that I was in, just this temptation to really, you know, say something about myself that would get some praise. You know, one brother, his, uh, his son was inducted into uh, the uh, honor society. So he was proud of that. He was sharing it. And, you know, and I figured out a way to share. Well, I was part of the honor society. And, and we do that. We were sitting around the table eating dinner, and we're talking. And I don't remember who brought it up. We're talking about running a marathon, and I was sitting. I was like, "Well, I, I've ran a couple marathons, so <laughs> at some point, I want to share that." But this is kind of the way it is. Pride is something that's constantly wanting to have its way with us, and if we're not vigilant, if we're not looking for ways to set it aside, to put it aside, it becomes difficult. For us to be able to connect with God in the way we need to. You know, Romans chapter 12, verse 3, look what it says. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. I tell you, and I, I'm, I'm being honest this morning, hopefully you'll be honest with yourself. Left to my own devices, that's not who I am. I don't have the objectivity to really see myself accurately. Neither do you. But what God calls you and I to is to be able to think of ourselves with sober judgment. 
You know, I love this. Zacchaeus not only figured out where would Jesus be to go there, but when he faced the obstacle of not being able to see Jesus, he climbed up this tree. I don't know if he was the only one on that tree, but I'm sure it looked a bit foolish. But again, these are all acts that show his willingness to put aside his pride and to really connect with Jesus. So this morning, we have to be willing to put aside our pride because that's what helps us to see our spiritual poverty. Matthew 5 verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, when you and I can get to that place where we can know without a shadow of a doubt, I need God. I I am not going to make it without a deeper connection with God, without a, a a real connection with God, without us getting to that place that we're simply avoiding and hiding from God. So we have to be willing to put our pride aside. You know, lastly, I just want to share on this point, you know, where Bible study and prayer falls in your priority list is an indicator of how or where you are of your spiritual poverty. You know, where does it fit? When you think about the things you do in a given day, week, where does reading your Bible and praying fall? And you may be thinking, well, Pierre, you're a minister, so your job is to encourage me to read my Bible and and come to church and and pray to God. And I would say you're right. (laughs) But I I would also call you to think about it. Well, why did you make the decision for those of you who have to do those things? Wasn't it to walk with God? To live the life that he's called you to live? So if that's a priority, if you're in touch with your need for for that, it would be set high on your priority list. Second thing we see here about Zacchaeus is that he was willing to change. You know, Jesus wanted to help Zacchaeus be saved. And there's no way that this life he wanted Zacchaeus to live would be known to Zacchaeus or Zacchaeus would be able to live that life if he wasn't willing to change. Now, Jesus' friendship had a profound impact on Zacchaeus. The time he spent with Jesus resulted in Zacchaeus making a decision right away. I'm going to change. I'm going to be different. You know, some of us, we have friends who don't tell us the truth. And that's not the kind of friend we're talking about this morning. That's not who Jesus is. You know, God is in the business of helping us to know the truth about where we're at so that way we can live the life he's created us to live. And Zacchaeus jumped into this new life with wild abandon. He gave away half of what he possessed, and he even committed, look, I'm going to pay back four times what I've stolen from other people. Is that your attitude this morning? Is there a willingness to change and be able to accept the life that God wants you to live. You know, when Jesus invited himself to come to Zacchaeus' home, he was inviting Zacchaeus to life. You know, an invitation to study the Bible is an invitation to live life as it was created to be lived. 
Jesus was not raining on Zacchaeus' parade. He was not taking the fun out of his life. He was not sentencing him to a life of joyless boredom. That's not what God wants for you and I. He was calling him to a life of abundance. You know, in John chapter 10, verse 10, I love this passage, one of my favorites. And here's what it says. It says, the thief comes to only, I'm sorry, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's what God wants for us. You know, Zacchaeus understood this and was ready to take whatever step was necessary to experience that new life. What about you? What change do you need to make in your life today? This morning, what changes do you need to make? And what's holding you back? What's keeping you from making those changes? You know, as I said earlier, God is in the business of helping us to see the truth about who we are. I'm sure it's not really difficult for us to really stop and think, okay, where am I at right now in life? What change, what decision do I need to make? I want to really end our time here by sharing, you know, a, a decision I think collectively, certainly individually it applies, but I think collectively as a church, something that we need to grow in and we need to do more of. You know, whenever we as a church fall into the trap of talking about sinners out there in the world and how horrible they are and we fight to separate ourselves from them as, we're, as if we're different, then we're drifting away from Jesus. And I, you know, I've I, I, uh, been a disciple for 24 years and, and I, I love the fact that I get to be in, in, in a church like this and be in a region like the Southwest region because I feel like I have people in my life who's helping me to be more of who God wants me to be. Now, the thing that I, I really want to share with us that, you know, to imitate Jesus and be a friend of sinners is really, I think we need to, more than we are right now, to be willing to go out into the community more. Where we see, because, you know, the, 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 the danger is we can start thinking that we reduce our walk with God to just a Sunday service. I mean, we even say it in our vernacular sometimes that, you know, we're going to church. You know, church is the people, not the service, right? As the people, we come together and we have a service, a worship service. But, you know, church is the people, and the Bible helps us to understand we're the body of Christ. And so as Jesus did, as he went out to, to people, you know, I do believe in imitating him. It's how can we go out more into the community? How can we really bring church to others? And not just think that it's something we do when we're here on a Sunday. And we have some great example of people who are doing this. I mean, I know in the singles, uh, in the singles group here in, in, in the church, you know, there are brothers and sisters who are putting up events and pulling people together to be able to not only help them, whether it be professionally in their job, but also to help them experience God. And be able to know the good news about Jesus and be able to make the right decisions in their lives. And I do believe this is something we can all grow in more as a church 
to really learn how can we be more like Jesus and be friends of sinners. Turn to Romans chapter 5 here and in, in, in verse 6. We're gonna I'm gonna read this passage as we close out. And this is a way to set our minds before we take the communion together. In verse 6, it says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you're running from God this morning, I want to encourage you to think about the message in that, those three short verses. It's really helping us to understand that there's nothing you and I could have done that would make God our enemy. Now, certainly we can displease him in the way we live our lives, and we can reject his involvement in our lives, but in terms of what he desires is to be our friend and be close to us. You know, Jesus decided to die for you long before you desired to make changes in your life. So let's not hesitate to put aside our pride and make changes to start living the godly life that he's calling us to live. Amen? Let's go to God and pray.